pleasant radio. Yes, indeed, a pleasant good evening to all our listeners around the world. We are waiting to join Mason and guests. We hope you can stay with us as we bring you some music until then. They at six eighteen is when we usually join Mason and guests. But tonight I chose to play some songs or some recording that we had before. So until we join them, here is Kyron Powell. He speaks about his omission from the West Indies. What a better opportunity for him now that the duo is wide open. We hope by our playing this recording, others will remember that he's still there and he's still a good opener. Listen. because I know that he's not happy at all. And we found him all the way in Sugar City. Uh, good evening to you, Karen Paul. How are you? Uh, good evening, Andrew. I'm fine. How are you? Good. I don't know if you heard the end of what Roger had to say when they asked him the question uh, as far as you're concerned. Did you hear the, the lead selector? Uh, I did. I heard, I heard the brief explanation, I guess. Mm. Any reaction to what he said? Um, well, I guess a reaction giving him a call or him giving me a call to clarify what other issues there may be. You're a very disappointed man. Very, very disappointed. Explain why you're disappointed that you have not been selected. Uh, just the fact that, as you mentioned, I spoke most times in, in the Super 50. Um, and if you look at both the Super 50 and the 40 tournament, I'm actually the leading run scoring regional cricket the last season that was just recently concluded before the coronavirus pandemic hit. Um, so I think I think that goes to show that across board formats, even though it wasn't really as productive as I would like to have been after one point in time in the 40 season, um, that I still managed to stand up above everyone else that played in tournament. So it's just a bit um, disheartening for myself to, to not have been selected in should be 
encouraged. You know, um, I once remember a coach within the West Indies team telling me that I don't need to play for the West Indies because I'm financially stable and I should leave it for people that aren't financially stable. And I didn't understand, I still don't understand that statement to this day. Because no one would look at a LeBron James or a Cristiano Ronaldo or all the investments they have outside of their respective sports and so many others. Um, and tell them that they don't need to play anymore. Um, obviously, we know the history of athletes going bankrupt within five years after retirement. Um, so I, I don't know if that's something that people want. For me, I would hope not. I would hope that they want the best. And for every cricketer to use this platform to set themselves up outside of cricket, and for, for not only for themselves but their future generations and their parents and what. Clarity 
or that lack of clarity is what's really um, confusing for them. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I, I see your point with the communication. I, I do view you personally as one of the one of the top openers in the in the region still. Um, but the electors, the election panel before this one and also this one, they mentioned giving players a run, and I was engaging um, Mr. Harper regarding having probably three openers. And at present, we have. Uh, one opener who's been fairly well established and a new one who's like had a year or so in the game. Uh, don't you see it possible that if one of these guys stumble that maybe you could be involved later in the season, COVID permitting when the other team tour uh, went in? Um, well, I'm not sure that there's so much great area in terms of where it's done, what it needs to do. Um, obviously, there's this whole global pandemic and we don't even know if there's going to be any cricket for the rest of the season. We will be able to restart. Um, another one I was dropped from the team in 2018, they started to score more run. But at the point I was dropped, there were only two guys in the team at that point in the year that had more runs than me. And that was number six and number seven batsman in Shane which and just all of it. I mean, it's always done.
evaluation, you know, that way you could you could take a you can have a look at the overall picture and reflect on, on what you were doing, what you could have done differently, um, the areas that you were efficiently working on and the areas that need to be improved and, and hit those areas harder and continue to improve your strength as well. Um, one thing that I have also done is continue to try and work on my outfield. You know, I'm not just this dealer, but this season I try to spend more time in the outfield, obviously um, playing test cricket, you know, and having certain guys in the team, you want on yourself in the slips as much as you do in regional cricket. So you want to make sure that your game is well-rounded and you attend to all areas of your game. So I've been trying to look at all facets of my game and life and obviously maturity. Older, so. uh, I just want to ask a question. In fact, someone said to us, uh, can you ask him if it's true that he didn't pass the fitness test? Is any truth in that? Um, well, that is true, but I don't know that that was the reason why I was not selected because there were guys that did not turn up to the fitness test and there were guys that also did not pass the fitness test. Could you say that again?
Yes, we are waiting to join Mason and Guest in a, in a couple of minutes time. Be with us. We invite you to be with us Sunday from 6 until 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Call 1515-605-9850. Again, the number is 605. Let that be 9515-605-9850. Sunday, we'll be bringing you a rare Great show. Last week we had the pleasure of speaking with the president of the West Indies Cricket Board and he was really up front with us. Tell us as it is. We just are grateful for him to be on us with us. And we are waiting to to join Mason Guest. He will be on in a short while. Yes, he's right about. Uh, we have a few minutes. We can just talk to you a bit. Sunday evening, we were naming the members of um, various teams around the world. We named the England, English team, that is from our standpoint. And we also named the team from the West Indies team. You know it, you, you, you might have heard it before, but we did name a team. You also named a Jamaica all-time team, and you also Name. Uh, you also named the Barbados all-time team. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So next week we're hoping to name the Australia team, Windward Islands team, the Chinese team, the Leeward Islands team, Trinidad team, and uh, of course any team that is left out in the Caribbean, we name them for you. But we are just waiting to join Mason and Guest because they're hot, ready to go. Ready go. Uh, here is Mason and Guess. It would be in in a jiffy. Well, the IPL suspended. I expected that. The kind of COVID cases in India really and truly, you know, there were calls for it to be suspended a couple of days ago and the pressure mounted it and in the end those responsible said we've got to call it Wally. All West Indian players are very much on their way back to the Caribbean, and we wish them well. We want to thank the Nation newspaper. I know Ezra Short is working very hard down at the Nation, and he broke a story. Of course, he gets to speak, and he's saying that Roston Chase, our very good friend Shamar Brooks, and Shane Dowridge not getting contracts. Um, my understanding is that Jamal Warrican was not offered a contract 
I'm also hearing that Shamal Holder was not offered a contract either. Uh, Shea Hope has got to work for a contract. I'm also told that Kemar Roach downgraded to B. Craig Brathwick has B. And Jason Holder, the former West Indies captain in all formats. So that's information that I can share with you. And it's certainly going to create a lot of discussion, of course, on Jason and guests uh, tonight. Of course, Dr. Andrew Ford is my co-host. I already see fellow Wallace on Zoom. We hope to get reaction from Johnny Graves, the CEO of Cricket West Indies. We're going to be talking to Richard Steely, the former um, Minister of Tourism. He's going to join us uh, very shortly uh, because last week we started a discussion on the CPL. And Shuris Raganath was saying that, you know, not a lot of benefit for countries. And someone who should know Richard Steely, he's going to be joining us a little bit later on on the show. We also, as well, uh, want to go back to St. Vincent to find out what's happening. Uh, you know, uh, they're having their problems, although things have uh, been a lot better in recent times. But we hope to join Delton Butler to find out how he is fearing. But without any further ado, let me say hello to my co-host, Dr. Andrew Ford. Hello, Andrew, how are you, my friend? Hi, hello, and Johnny, and the listeners. Um, good to be on, and you mentioned some interesting topics, and you know we're we're all hoping for good news from cricket. So I, I'm sure Johnny will have some good news for us later. Well, in fact, while you're on, uh, it's, it's over to you, Doctor Ford, to ask Johnny the first question. You haven't got a contract, have you, Doctor Ford? Well. I'm currently fully employed. I employ myself quite successfully. Um, good night, Johnny. Um, I hope you're well. You, you look rather relaxed. Well, good evening. Hello, over in the UK. Okay. Well, I I, I did hear the clip where you you talked about our players coming back from the from the IPL. Um, and I guess is that something Cricket West Indies is involved in or you just have an overseeing role in, in getting each of the getting the players back to their respective uh, nations? Yeah, at the moment, obviously, it's an it's a individual franchise tournament. The players have their contracts with their respective franchises and, um, yeah, we're just in regular contact. Have been, actually, for the last week or so as the situation in India has got progressively worse outside of the bubble. Um, talking to players, um, we had a um, a meeting with everyone, all the players, both those in England, India, and within the region on Friday, just to update them on what the plans are for this summer to keep everyone sort of in uh, in communication about what our likely plans are. And um, yeah, I've spoken to players, agents, franchises today, um, as well as commentators. We've got Ian Bishop out there. We've got Brian Lara there. We've got also um, you know production crew like Craig Cozier. So there's you know, lots of West Indians in the IPL, um, and um, yeah, we're hopeful that over the next few days they'll be making their way back to the Caribbean and as quickly and as safely as they possibly can. Okay, well, well, COVID-19 is a new normal, and we've been dealing with it for over 18 months, and vaccinations offer a great possibility for us to, to at least cope with it better. How is the vaccination program going with the, with the West Indies uh, players? Any percentages of uh, players who have accepted vaccines or any news on that initiative? Um, no, we, we've not um, 
and we won't and we can't you know mandate um, our players to, to have the, um, the the vaccine we've strongly encouraged them to do so and had information sessions both at international level uh, with our men's and women's players but also amongst many of the franchises trying to answer questions that they may have around uh, the vaccine and, and taking it um, certainly we believe it's it's a way in which hopefully protocols not just for for, for cricketers, but also for um, you know, individuals within the Caribbean and around the world can start to get back to a new normal, as you call it, Dr. Paul. So uh, we encourage it, but yeah, unfortunately we're not in a position where we can we can force it upon people. But hopefully over the next month to two months, most of the players will have been fully vaccinated. That's certainly our, our hope. Okay, well, uh, in the Caribbean, uh, we've had Trinidad, who has been uh, grappling with the COVID-19, and now the situation has worsened somewhat. There's been uh, a kind of a lockdown process going on. Uh, we expect South Africa to be, there's some discussions about South Africa being in Trinidad. Uh, South Africa had last year postponed their visit here with COVID-19 and other logistical things being involved. Uh, how confident are you now about about the tour, are you feeling any better than you felt the last time you spoke about South Africa coming to the region? I probably am, um, I think, would be a fair assessment. Um, we certainly had very, very positive talks with Cricket South Africa. I think when we last spoke, there was still some confusion with their governance and the situation with the, with the government in South Africa, the Minister of Sport. Obviously, that's recently been resolved, and that, that's good news for us. And, and good news for world cricket and South African cricket in particular. Um, and yeah, I'm confident that they're coming. Um, we continue to work through all the logistical and, and medical and operational challenges that we have. We're not quite in a position yet to announce uh, the tour, but um, I'd hope to be so, certainly within the week. Without telling it, taking any tales out of school, what are your most difficult areas to, to hammer down to make this a reality? Um, it's a good question. I mean, there is so much now to, so many hurdles to overcome that it's, um, you know, it's it's an ongoing process. And ultimately, until the players arrive, and to a certain extent, talking from experience with Sri Lanka, until until that first ball of the first game is bowled right till the last day when players safely leave, it's um, it's a stressful time for for everyone just to make sure that the cricket can go ahead as planned. So, uh, I think at this stage we're into the final discussions with governments obviously we need ultimately chief medical officers to approve um, the protocols within each of the country and it's as you acknowledge it's an ever-changing dynamic situation so what we know now might well be different next week so we've got to continue to be agile we know that South Africa are, uh, have now um, got a flight um, booked um, coming via Paris and St Martin into the Caribbean and yeah we're desperately hoping to to start a training camp for our test players in particular um, as, as soon as this weekend if you know um, government protocols uh, and regional travel allow so um, yeah we continue to work um, morning noon and night to make these tours happen the women West Indies women came safely into Antigua on the weekend which is good a week later than we hoped but um, yeah fingers crossed yeah we're, we're moving forward with not just South Africa but the tour um, and then the visit straight afterwards by Australia, and we spoke to Cricket Australia again this morning, and and Pakistan after that. So um, plenty, plenty going on, and, and lots of cricket to look forward to. We hope.
I know you can't comment specifically on the contractual uh, thing that Andrew mentioned as it relates to players, but I'd like to to know uh, number one, when do you envisage we'll hear about the the contract for the coming year? Number two, will any financial considerations reduce uh, the numbers you had uh, for the for the previous year? I think we're planning to, there's three sets of contracts that we're in the process of issuing um, first set to our, our international men, secondly to our international women, women, and then also to our senior umpire panel, the 13 contracted umpires have been offered retainer contracts on an annual basis. So uh, I think the plan is at the moment all being well. We'll announce the men tomorrow, uh, women on Thursday and umpires probably on Friday, um, and hold press conferences probably 24 hours later with, with the lead selectors. Mm. Uh, will, come, will the finances cause a reduction in the in what you had uh, from the previous year? Uh, not at this stage, no. All the contracts are being issued in line with the WIPA MOU um, that outlines the remuneration for players for the upcoming year, 21-22. And, um, yeah, the current contracts that we're offering are in line with those that were set back in 2019. Okay, Andrew, I know you want to come in. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of reaction uh, across the Caribbean, Johnny. Um, you know, Rostam Chase, who has done so very well, only recently was a, a vice-captain. Jamal Brooks not getting the contract. Um, Shane Dowridge, you know, we haven't heard a lot about him. And, uh, you know, I understand that Jamal Warkin, uh, who bought so well, in fact, he was the man that bought the wicket uh, for the West Indies in the last test match in Bangladesh. And the promising Jamal Holder um, not getting the contract. Uh, I think this has surprised many people across the Caribbean. Your reaction? As I said, Andrew, the contracts will be announced tomorrow um, by Cricket West Indies. Um, that will include all the players, not just the Barbadians that you mentioned. Um, yeah, and, and inevitably, some players will go up and, and be promoted from franchise contracts up to international retainers, and some will will be going back down the chain into the franchise system. Uh, any player that loses their international retainer, as I said before on the show, um, does get offered an A-plus franchise contract, the highest grade of franchise contract, and and all of the contracts we offered are based on performances, firstly within the 12-month period under the assessment, but also we look at their statistics over a two-year period as well. And um, the set criteria, and ultimately it's up to the, the lead selectors through the director of cricket to make a recommendation to the board and for the board to approve those retainer contracts for the men and women's team. Okay, well, stay with us, Johnny. Um, of course, we want to look at the, um, the CPL, in fact, only last week. Um, on the show, there was a great deal of discussion. Our fellow Wallace is still very much with us, and that we've now been joined by the former Minister of Tourism in Barbados, Mr. Richard Seeley. Hello, Richard. Good evening to you, sir. Good evening to you, Andrew, and uh, good evening to, to all, of, uh, all, of, all of the panelists. I recognize all of them. I, I met Mr. Gray, but obviously, no, no outing. <laughs> And it's great, great to see fellow. We we exchanged a greeting telephonically the other day. I didn't know I was going to be seeing you so soon. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Well, well, well Richard, uh, of course you got Johnny Grave, uh, who is the CEO, and and fellow Wallace. They're going to get a reaction from him. Uh, last week on the show, we had the Minister of Sport in St Kitts um, talking about the benefits um, of the CPL, and he was saying it was a great thing for. Uh, 
But we have a counter from the former West Indies um, batsman, Suresh Raghunath, and he's a former CEO of the Trinidad and Tobago Cricket Board. And he was saying it's not as rosy as people uh, say. You have been minister. Um, you, you would have had to work with CPL for a long time. Uh, what's your reaction? I'm not going to necessarily agree in an absence of data to what uh, the Raghunath had said in terms of his counter. But I must confess, I, I thought the arithmetic from the Minister of Cricket Sport, um, I'm not sure if he's the original. Yes, 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 the Minister of Sport. I think yes. it, 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 did, it did sound a, a little excessively optimistic to me. Um, this, this is a tournament that is occurring in a bubble environment. Um, you're not going to have, you know, they ain't no Trini Posse or Bajan Posse or Antiguan Posse following any teams or anything like that. It's basically the players and crew and the like. And to, to get all up into those hundreds of millions of dollars in economic footprint based on the bed night just basically from the, the actual participants in the tournament, um, sounded a little optimistic to me. I understand it's over a protracted period. I understand that it's, everything is concentrated in Warner's Park, so it will probably be more extended. Last year in Trinidad, they were using a Queen's Park as well as a venue in the south. Um, what's it Brian called? Lara. Brian Lara, right. Okay. So clearly with Warner's Park, um, you know, it, it probably would be an extended period of time. You'd get more bed nights. And, and I, I, I wish them well. Um, this, of course, is the second time that St. Kitts uh, is hosting the, the, the finals, but hosting the whole thing. Last time they had the finals. And, oh, I, I remember that very well because I wouldn't go as far as say they huffed it from Barbados. But in, in all fairness, I would have to say Trinidad also huffed it from us too. But when we entered into the original relationship with the tribe, the very first year. It was rich, yes, a million Barbados dollars, but we, we, we all, we were assured, I was just saying we were assured, but we always wanted to have the semifinals and the finals and get some some uh, some benefits along the lines to what the minister think it was talking about, where people actually would be traveling to Barbados and we would get that direct benefit. The truth is, CPL is really more PR than anything else. Um, good PR, I might add. Um, I mean, you know, we haven't had anything like that since, 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 since Mr. Stanford had his competition. And, of course, you have the Indian Premier League and some other 2020 competitions, the Big Bash in Australia. And, therefore, trying to build the brand, it was seen as a developmental effort. Um, and that is how you, you sometimes have to look at investing in sports tourism. It's not necessarily like how you invest in other niches to get movement of tourists into the country. So, yes, we wanted to see the CPL, you know, develop, and we went a little rich initially. Um, obviously, those numbers then declined in terms of the level of support. I can't speak what's going on now, obviously, I'm, I'm no longer in government. But the, but the whole idea was that you, you, you would not want a Caribbean Premier League and not have a franchise from Barbados. I mean, that's just unthinkable. Um, and so we, we did what, what we had to do. Um, 
So in a very roundabout way, I'm, I'm suggesting to you the direct response to your question um, is that I, I do think those figures were a little on the high side. But having said that, if packaged properly in terms of the PR element, you have international media. Um, I don't know if it's Sky Sports or the other one, the other British channel, and obviously the channels out of South Asia, et cetera. You're going to push the brand in the Caribbean, and people are, and obviously that would benefit your destination. Um, and, but, but I don't know if you're going to see that kind of, of, of movement into the destination. Whether people within the region or people from outside of the region coming in. You don't normally get movement outside of the region to regional cricket competition. They come here for international cricket, particularly the English tour, but sometimes some of the, the other, other, other tours as well. I think I responded to your question, and I know yeah, we sure. have... Um, yeah, let's get a reaction from, from fellow Wallace who's with us, and then we're going to go to Johnny, because I'm interested to find out what are the benefits of CPL to Cricket West Indies. Philo? Uh, good evening, Andrew. Thank you once again for having me on. Good evening to Dr. Ford, Johnny Grover, obviously, uh, Richard Seeley, former uh, Minister of Tourism. Yes, we had that, that conversation. Also, I want to say, uh, Andrew, good evening to my friend, Sherlock Hart, and a very important... Some very important people in Barbados at the Dos Santos, the COVID lab. Andrew, for what is happening in the world, that lab is tremendously important to Barbados. And those workers should be highlighted. And keeping the numbers down, and the authorities as well, keeping the numbers down for COVID. I'm back in England, Andrew. I left Barbados on Sunday. I had a negative COVID test. So I have a vaccine, and I'm 10 days in quarantine at home. So five days in Barbados is not bad, I'm telling you. And I was due to have my second vaccination on Thursday, and the COVID unit guy told me, don't leave the house. Reschedule. So it's not bad in Barbados. Commend all of those people. When you look at our cricket, I, I, I am very surprised by Cricket West Indies that to hear our CEO saying that players who are contracted, they cannot force them to have the vaccine. But they're traveling all over the world. And I think that Cricket West Indies needs to sit with these players down and get them to understand the seriousness of COVID and the importance of getting vaccinated, even if they get the two vaccinations, just to give them that sense of comfort. And I think it'll, a big, it'll be a big step for Cricket West Indies if they can convince those players, both men and women, and also the umpires get the two vaccinations to send a message to the region and to the world that is important and you do it. We're all talking about CPL. Look at what happened in the IPL. All those are things that are going to be on the back door of this CPL since they kicked the leaders. They're playing a whole lot of cricket, 30-something feet, T20 matches, a small island state. And they must make sure that all the boundaries are covered, if not they're in for trouble. It's not about numbers and making money. It's about the security of human lives. And human lives we have to be more important now, moving forward. Because you know, this, this pandemic is not easy enough. It's getting worse. And it's going to hit us in the Caribbean. Trinidad is closed its borders, and they have the Brazilian strain. And you know how the Caribbean is. All you want is one person to cough, and everybody catches the flu. So we need to be very careful. And the planning needs to be very, very careful, Mr. Graves. In relation to CPL and six and Nevis, I beg you and your cricket committee to be very adamant about those stringent measures that need to be put in place. South Africa, you said, are coming still. 
there's supposed rumors, if there's truth in every rumor, they're supposed to be based in Trinidad. And that must be a headache for the West Indies. They might need to revisit if they're going to stay in Trinidad and Tobago. One knows, but that is up to you and your board and your cricket operations. You want cricket? Yes, you want the finances, but you also got to think safety. In relation to those to, to the guys who have not been off a contract, I, 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 I am taken back by the whole thing. I know the, the, the selectors and the director of cricket are the people who recommend those to the, the various players for contract and the various grades. But there's a system in place, or there should be a system in place in which players should be rewarded contract. And if you're looking at the two-year period, some of the players who have, been, who have not been off a contract have had good seasons for two years. And I think that we need to understand that this is a serious thing that we're into. And we need to reward people. We need to keep people interested in playing this wonderful game called cricket, even in this pandemic. We need to try to keep guys interested. We can't have guys who have been doing well. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves out. And then they're out of contract. And then they're into a franchise contract. It shouldn't be as much as... But we need to reassure them that all is not lost. I like communicating. And I will hope that the director of cricket and the lead selector, Roger Harper, who has massive roles, communicate to these players where their futures, where their future lies. Let's not leave a fella hanging. Cost of living is high. Young men have young families to tend to, and cricket is their only breadwinner. And that's why we need to let them know it's important that when they get the opportunity, they have to grab them with both hands because there are other people not going to do it. But I would like some clarity how these fellows who missed out are being treated or will be treated. And if the cricket West Indies don't represent them, I think the Barbados or the various boards who have missed the field will represent these players and try to make sure that they stay focused on becoming West Indian cricketers yet again. Just don't no, leave them uh, off. Well, I understand that the Barbados Cricket Association are not at all happy uh, about the fact that Rustin Chase didn't get a contract. I'm flabbergasted that Shamar Brooks, the best young batsman in the region, I've not been given a contract. He didn't go to Bangladesh because he said family reasons, and that is okay. And there was no, there was, and it was a big thing that there'll be no um, scrutinizing or no, no, no unfairing of people. I mean, you look at it, we're looking at Barbadians. We're not, we can just because we know Barbadians. I don't know who in the other islands have not had contract offered or have not been given contract. But we need to be very transparent with our cricket. Mm. And if we're not going to be transparent with our cricket, we need to get those people out fair people to deal with our cricket because it's a network. I just read on the internet our former kids have gone and made more money. A yes. serious message. Yes. Serious message. And if cricket West Indies don't wake up, they're going to get shake up. And they're going to get shake up by those players. And a serious message that Jason Hoda just thinks of West Indies cricket around the world. I could have made more money, but I paid for West Indies. Now is the time I'm going to do it. It's a great Ask your board and your directors to look seriously at the decisions they're making. This young man like that, they're going to walk away from that beautiful game. Well, but Philo, uh, Philo, we're going to get a, a reaction from Johnny. Of course, we've got to take a, a commercial break. And I also want to talk to Johnny about the importance of the CPL to Cricket West Indies. But of course, Mason and Guest is brought to an association with our very good friends at Bob Nothing promoting youth sport and... Yes, yes, we are waiting to join Mason and Giss on a commercial break. You're tuned to the cricket show, and we are bringing you a rebroadcast, not a rebroadcast, we are transmitting the broadcast 
from Mason and Guess. Hoping that you are getting in all the details that you intend to get from a program like this. And we trust that you will join us each and every Sunday. We have a program that is on from 6 until 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The number you can call us is at 1-515-605-9850. The number again, 1-515-605-9850. Let's see if we are being joined by me. It's not preeminent T20 tournament in the region. Um, it, you know, in normal times, it's, it's a competition that's loved by fans throughout the region. They flock to games in their masses. Um, it's obviously fantastic for the players. These are CPL contracts that are over and above the contracts that we offer at international and, and franchise level. So it's, uh, it's over $2 million in US terms to our Caribbean players alone. That's before international players that are paid. Um, and it's, it's the way in which our selectors look at you know, the next generation of T20 international players. So it's, uh, it's a hugely important tournament to the cricketers and to the region. I'll ask the question though, Johnny. Of course, you would not have been around uh, when that contract was signed. But my understanding is that the contract is for 50 years. Uh, that, that's rather generous, isn't it, Johnny? Hey, it's certainly a long time. Um, I'm not sure I'll be here in 50 years in this role. Um, so um, I'll, I'll acknowledge that fully. But um, look, I think a lot's made of it. But at the end of the day, the, from what I understand, the previous tournament was causing West Indies cricket a lot to run. It wasn't profitable. Um, the CPL certainly hasn't been uh, profitable in terms of its, um, its lifespan. It, it's taken enormous investment from the league and the individual franchise owners. I think they're, they're probably over 50 million US invested in, in the league since its inception. So, um, you know, I think it's easy to knock the CPL. It's easy to criticise it. But you talk to people around the world and it's now perceived as, you know, one of the top leagues, um, second to the IPL, both in terms of its cricket, in terms of its um, selling the Caribbean to the world. Its viewing figures on Sky Sports were, were unbelievable in terms of the stats from the la last year and, and growing numbers around the world. And, most people around the world who are cricket fans know of a lot of the Caribbean countries through cricket, and then they want to they, they see it on TV and they want to come here and visit it and experience the culture. And um, you know, I think it's uh, cricket is an amazing shop window and platform for the Caribbean, and we should celebrate that as cricket fans because um, you know we need we need our players to be loved throughout the world. We're we're statistically, according to the ICC, the world's second favourite team, and and we need that to continue, and we need people to flock to the Caribbean because tourism, when it comes back, is highly competitive. There are lots of destinations and, and, and lots of um, competition for our, our holiday money, and we want and need it to come to the Caribbean. Just before we come back uh, to you, um, Johnny, I'm going to go to former minister. Uh, of course, I know that uh, Dr. Ford has got a question or two, but um, Johnny, uh, we heard from Tony Astafan today. We're going to uh, play that piece very, very soon where he's saying that he's not getting any cooperation at all from Cricket West Indies in relation to the Courtney Brown piece. I don't know if Larry's got that all um, set up for us. Larry, you can uh, maybe get that in the system for us very soon so we can uh, um, let you hear the interest of balance and you'll get a response uh, from, from you. But just before we do that, let's go to the former minister, uh, Mr. Richard Seeley, who I understand is busy in the field campaign because he's going to run in the next election. I'm sure he's not going to comment on that. Um, 
what are the expectations, um, Richard, of a government uh, in relation to the CPL? When they have negotiations uh, with you, what do they expect from the government? They expect the government to bring a checkbook. I mean, let's be quite blunt. I mean, what's all about? I mean, um, you know, uh, you you heard from Mr. Graves. He sort of yes, to pay the players alone two million U.S. dollars. I mean, that's just that's just the salaries. You know, we started to talk about the production costs and all of those other elements. And, and yeah, okay, I might not necessarily. Maybe I'm being a little too cute there, but certainly cash and time. So they want concessions and waivers on just about everything under the sun. Uh, they want support. Um, you know, these things cost money. Um, you know, obviously something like the IPL is extremely well endowed with the corporate sector in India and so on. Um, it is still, CPL is still, still an infant, if you want to put it that way. It's still, still, still at that point. So they expect support from the government. And, and, and again, I, I haven't heard anything expressly said by this government per se on the issue, but certainly their actions would suggest that they were largely agreed with us, that it is something worth developing for all of those reasons that Mr. Grave outlined and that I outlined. Yes, I mean, they've, they've, they've targeted tourism boards in different destinations. You would notice a lot of the teams you would see the logos of the tourism authorities, whether it's uh, St. Lucia or Antigua or St. Kitts or wherever, and that, but that's actually the same franchise that went across. So you would see tourism boards obviously involved, either at the level of the team or at the level of the venue. Um, that's not by accident. That is who they target because the, the, the public relations, generally speaking, is geared around the destination. Um, and that is what it's all about. Now, Certainly in the case of Barbados, we, we, we try to dovetail it with, with, with other things. Um, now, for example, one of the attractive prospects for us was the whole Sky Sports phenomenon because, as you know, the, the, the English tours are extremely important to Barbados tourism. It is not by chance that you see spikes in arrivals when there is an English tour. And, and, and therefore, uh, we, 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 we look at the strategy of supporting CPL in a wider context of sports tourism and cricket in particular. Not only the English tour, because as you know, Andrew, this thing occurs at the community level with all the clubs and the teams come down here, have their exchanges, the Empire Club, Northern Stars, uh, some of the clubs in St. Philip, I believe, Windward, they have their exchanges with other clubs. Sometimes it is even structured around the tour. It's big, it's huge. Um, so we, we, we try to, in essence, look at it in the wider context and you see it uh, promoting Barbados, promoting Caribbean cricket or West Indies cricket uh, in that context because that's how you must see it. Um, you know, we, 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 we have to be careful because, you know, the 2007 World Cup Disaster is still people's mouths. Um, you know, I don't think you could you could blame the then government for for all of that. I mean, Barbados was so happy to have the Super Eights, and then you hear that instead of India and Pakistan coming, it's going to be uh, Ireland and Bangladesh. So obviously, tourism, all the numbers and the 
charitable destiny that was supposed to be full of all of these Indi- Indian and Pakistan America. Not one of them came. I had a few Irish in St. Lawrence Gap written by a note all the Guinness and beer and everything. So a few bars benefited. But the point is that again, you 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 don't want to to to, to, to anticipate what or who may be playing in the tournament. You want to have something structured and so pushing and building the CPL brand in that context, yes, was was important. Um, and you have to see it in that developmental side of things. And of course, as I say too, the relationship with sports and sports development. I mean, Mr. Gray spoke about it. I know that the CPL has been trying to push young players and keep the sport of cricket going. It is no point, you know, the Ministry of Tourism in Barbados is doing an excellent job developing cricketers from England and Scotland and Wales. We also want to know that what we are doing is also helping the domestic cricket team. And so that is that is basically the sort of thinking that would go into a decision like that. The developmental component and not just the, 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 the dollars and cents of you know how much spend you will get and all of the such like. And um, and let me just say as a postscript I also want to endorse everything that Philo said about these times and the preservation of life, etc. Um, sorry for what happened in India, um, but I think it, the cricket bubbles to date have actually worked quite well, and I wish my Kittesian friends all the best, as I wish the Antiguans, when they host, and everyone else that, that is engaging in these things, because, you know, we have to get past the COVID thing, but the preservation of life is very, very important. So that was a very strong point below me as well, underlying that underlying everything that we're talking about this evening. Uh, first, that's the former Minister of Tourism, uh, Mr. Richard Seeley. And, of course, as I said, we've got uh, Philo Wallace with us. We've got Dr. Andrew Ford. And we've also got uh, the CEO of Cricket West Indies, Johnny Graves. We're going to have to keep Johnny Graves uh, too much longer. And he's got to go and look after his kids. But there's always you, Dr. Ford. And we've got some questions now with Philo. Doc? Hey, um, for, first, I want to ask Richard, uh, what was your biggest disappointment about about uh, being in office and having CPL there, and is it that Barbados was bid, or was it that uh, that we definitely, you know, I'm looking at why we never have a final in Barbados. Was it a case of being outbid? Was it a case of it costing too much? What were the limiting factors that would have made helped to make that decision? Well, both. We were outbid. They wanted too much money, so yes, we were outbid, and it was too expensive. Uh, we couldn't match what the Trinidadians were offering. Simple as that. Um, you know, I I remember well that that was the reality. Trinidad wanted it more than we did, and were willing to cough up more money. And we had already made a commitment, and uh, you know, it just was something that we couldn't justify. Um, we said, well, okay, maybe next year then. Um, and they have continued process of, I don't want to say shaking down government. It really started, honestly, leading up to the same 2007 World Cup, where we had to bid, we had, they had these bid packages. I wasn't in government at the time, but, you know, I was, I, I was in public life. I was in the opposition, in parliament. And they had these bid packages. So for the first time, I suppose one might argue it's 
somewhat transparent, but still unfortunate. Whereas I presume the West Indies Cricket Board would sit and decide which venues you would have international cricket. People had to compete to get these packages. That practice, it seems, has continued. I know, and it flourished under Mr. Cameron. Um, and I'm not getting into the political lore KC with cricket politics. And um, I dealt with Mr. Cameron, good friend of mine. Uh, I call him a friend. I can call Ricky Scarrett a friend, as I can call Calvin Hope a friend. So I'm not getting into their, their, their squabbles. But what I will say is that we have to be careful, Andrew, at how we pitch the West Indies Cricket Board shape down towards boards around the region for money to keep events international cricket. Uh, again, I hope some of what I experience is no longer taking place. I appreciate that, yes, you want to get, there's money. If a destination is benefiting, you want to get a piece of the action. But is there a, a different model than, you know, you have you think Kitts and Warner's Park competing against Kansas and Noble, competing against Queen's Park Oval, competing against um, the Vivian Richards venue in Antigua. I, I, I don't like it myself. And PL. Obviously, with its commercial model, I kind of understand where they came from. But it has even worked its way into the tours and where cricket should be played. Um, we all know one, when England are coming to the West Indies, the one place they're going to want to play is Kensington and Lowell because it's like a whole match for them. Um, this is probably not fair. And some of the other territories are probably jealous of that reality. They want to get into national cricket too. So I, I'm not saying it's an easy, easy thing to solve. But I would say to you that yes, there was some of that going on in those days in terms of bidding. Um, against the kit, getting the final was just a case of well, what I heard, what I understood, the Sugar Industry Diversification Fund, which is supported from the sale of passports, except what was, you know, they have a citizenship by investment program, and they were in a position to write a check to, um, to, to, to CPL, um, and um, and they got the final, you know, which okay. a lot of people found inexplicable. So, I, yes, that was taking place, and it is, I believe it's still taking place in Western East Cricket, or it was, except its way into other elements of the game, and I, I don't like it. One there thing. Um, well, we know that IPL and BBL are, are flourishing leagues and the others struggle. We do know that CPL for the first five years for sure lost money. I can't really speak about, about the, the other years, but we also know that the franchises are losing money. So what was the government's role in your time when it came to franchises if they were in difficulty? Because we know some franchises had to move. I am not aware of any back stopping that was taking place. We basically supported the franchises. Um, you know, we as I said, a million dollars the first year. I think it was a half million dollars the second year, $200,000 the third year. But forgive me for not having the exact figures, Andrew and Andrew, because you did, you did tell me I was going to be discussing this. I should have had the exact figures, but it, it was certainly a, a, a downward trajectory because we obviously figured they needed the support up front to get the project going. Um, I don't know what else was done. 
I found it very interesting that BJ Malia was bragging about the fact that he paid two dollars to buy the bar to strike. You know, and after after B B T M I put a million dollars in the team, the team really should have belonged to us, to tell you the truth. But but nevertheless, um, he of course had his own issues and so on. And I, I want to say that son I think was the owner and now I understand is a local group of Barbadians. I don't know what they did, what consideration was exchanged for them to be called the owners. Um I can't speak to anything else the government has done over and above the very generous sponsorship arrangement. Okay. Um, Johnny, um, we know that we, you know, in the West Indies, we're a collection of small, poor countries. Uh, we do know about the economic constraints that exist with CWI. Um, you have mentioned the important uh, diamond in, in, in our crown, which, which will be the broadcast rights. Um, I've been unable, speaking to you and, and to your marketing, person to really find out the quantum of, of these TV rights deals. But, and I've tried in different ways to get information, and I, and I say that I haven't uh, been very successful. But have you made any progress financially with, with your deals? And knowing how important it is to cricket West Indies, do the numbers say that we are on the rise where that's concerned, as it stands today? No, yeah, I mean, <coughs> we, we discussed this a few times, but um, I mean, our, our TV deal process is still ongoing. Um, we've completed. Sorry. As it stands right now, today, the, the fourth of May, are we are we ahead or are we behind? Compared to what? Well, compared to where we were last year. Well, last, last year we didn't have any media rights income. Last last cycle, last media rights cycle. Well, as I said before, it's it's a difficult question to answer because in the last cycle of 2013 to 2019, we had a number, as you know, of England and India tours coming regularly. So that that skews the the, the revenues greatly, and also we didn't have to pay to produce our cricket. That was an obligation under. Sony 10 Sports Agreement. So it's very difficult to compare uh, the two deals because the constructs are so different. And we're still in the process of um, completing the media rights um, agreements across all the major cricketing markets. And also we only know our future tours program up until the, the end of 2022. So, you know, if we were to have an England tour, or India tour in 2023, 2024, 2025, would almost certainly be ahead. Um, so it, it's not something that um, we can necessarily comment on um, other than to say that, as we have done previously, that all of the deals that we've signed are either on or ahead of the target that we set. So in that respect, um, particularly closing them all during COVID-19, I think it is a good achievement and one we're very happy for. In terms of the overall revenue numbers, um, you know, sponsorship is always going to take a hit when you're not playing home matches and you don't have fans in the, in the stands. And clearly, our ticketing revenue is taking an enormous hit. So, um, look, it continues to be a challenge. But as I said before, you know, it's it's not just about driving revenue. We've also got to make good decisions and have efficiencies in our spend. So, it's about controlling costs. Um, but yeah, financially, we're certainly in a better position than we were this time last year. Okay. 
So what's the difficulty in copying and pasting these two simple matters and putting them in, 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 in the record for us to either cross-examine whoever the witnesses may be or come to the realization there really is no defense, hence this long protracted delay. So Andrew, thank you for the opportunity for me to say this. I know it's a little long, but I thought it was important that I give you the fullest possible um, information time over this voice note. Thank you and have a great show. Do you heard it uh, coming from Tony Astafa? Let's go straight uh, to CEO Johnny Gray for reaction. Johnny? I mean, look, it's an ongoing court matter. Um, we're, we're following the process as laid out by the courts. Um, we're not in contact with either uh, Mr. Estefan or his, his lawyer directly. Um, we've got um, legal representation here in Antigua and Barbuda that are, that are advising us. And um, yeah, it's a court matter and you know, it's not for us to dictate the process or, or the timing. So um, yeah, I don't know what you want me to say. Andrew is a civil matter and it's called disclosure because they don't want any surprises if they do go to court, both sides. So all Mr. Astafan QC is asking for is for Cricket West Indies attorney to disclose the documents that they think that they're going to bring to the court case if they go to court. So it is no big issue. The longer the delay, the more red herrings they're going to cause. And again, issue. And Mr. Graves, you have must have a legal department at Credit West in Antigua who needs to ask to see what is going on. And the might be dealing with two former Western Indians who were selectors. One was chairman and one was a selector. And these are human beings. I spoke about it earlier. Deal with people like human beings. Your, your board is not doing that, and they're all human beings on that board. They might not like or they might like some things and some people, but treat people with respect. I believe the two gentlemen, Mr. Brown and Mr. Batty, should be treated with respect, even from your legal representative, your, re your legal firm, your legal representative. They should respect those two men. But at the end of the day, Cricket West Indies is going to face a burden and an embarrassment egg is going to be on the face of Cricket West Indies and we don't want all the other gentlemen who represented West Indies and agree with the fact that there's nothing hard. Let us start from throwing water in the sea and get down to the nuts and bolts about our cricket and be honest. You need some honesty coming out of Antigua when it comes to the great sport of Cricket West Indies. It is a great brand but it's being tarnished by a lot of silly mistakes that are being made. Let's treat people like people. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more, Philip. Um, but again, this is a legal matter dealt with by the courts. I have enormous respect for anyone that's that's worn the maroon, and um, and in particular the gentleman that you speak to. So, um, you know, I, I wish, and I'm sure there's many people that wish that the legal process would be quicker. But it is what it is, and 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 everyone will blame Cricket West Indies because, you know, that that's that's what always happens. But you know, it is what it is. We, there's no no. Um, sense at any stage that we don't respect players. Um, Philo, you know the lengths that we've gone to repair player relationships, to have transparency. Um, yes, players will be disappointed when they lose their contracts, but there is now a formal appraisal process that all the players in the system 
over 120 players, men, women, and franchise players have all had formal appraisals and feedback sessions with their employers, the head coaches, and the lead selectors over the last four to six weeks. So everyone will get direct feedback. Everyone was called by the lead selector, either Anjon Brown or, or Roger Harper, about their contracts moving forward. We have this caveat that any player who loses an international contract will automatically get a franchise one, and that's to keep them with all their insurance policies now, the private medical health care, um, the, the Provident Fund, all these important um, player support systems that exist to contracted players. And, and look, you play, people will always say that we don't pay enough our players enough money. But as I said, you know, over 2 million goes um, from CPL directly to the West Indians. That's not including overseas players. Now, some of our top players will earn over half a million US dollars a year directly from West Indies cricket. Now, these aren't insignificant sums, particularly in a COVID environment. So, you know, yes, we'd love to play our players more. Yes, we'd love to have more money. Um, but ultimately, we've got to, to do what we can with our resources. Our contracts are there. They are transparent. The, the players all know the system. They know the, the grading formula. They know what they need to do to perform. And when players perform, they get rewarded. And unfortunately, when players don't perform, uh, particularly over a two-year period, you know, they lose their contracts in similar fashion when, when they don't maintain their fitness and conditioning, they're fined. Um, these are systems that um, we put in place to drive standards. And what we have now, I think, you know, is a wide, wide pool of players. So, yes, there are 18 players that are getting retainer contracts or thereabouts every year in the, in the senior men's team and similar with the West Indies women. Um, but now we've got a situation where there are so many players available to West Indies cricket, both young players that we've seen performing uh, both at regional and when they've had the opportunity international level and we've got players that want to come back and and have shown that they can still perform at the highest level so you know I celebrate the fact that we've got um, players that people think should are good enough to be on international retainer and that there is there is lots of players who want to get into either our test ODI and T20 side and, and long may that continue because I firmly believe that it's that competition um, at four places that will drive standards, that will push players to work even harder on their technical games, on their strength and conditioning, and, and hopefully that will, will lead to good results on the field, which I know we all want. Okay, well, um, just before you come in, Dr. Court, and I know that uh, fellow is jumping in a bit as well, I know that we're going to be joined by Tony Gray pretty soon, he's very keen to come in, because uh, we're also going to open the line 441790, um, you know, we've been for the last week or so talking about the way forward with the new administration. Uh, so we're going to certainly open the lines. Good to see Ronnie Clark there. He'll certainly let us know we've got calls. And what I'm going to do is, of course, pause for business calls and let you know that Mason and Guest is brought to an association with their very good friends at Bobbins Lottery promoting youth sport and culture. Good evening, Mr. Ford, and to uh, all your eminent uh, persons on. 
Now, Andrew, my uh, contribution this evening is a simple one. Now, the, to your best knowledge, now I think, I think Mr. Graves, uh, Johnny Graves is still there, is the West Indies women team, or those 30 persons, is there a West Indies top order batsman in charge of coaching the women, the batting techniques that they're so sadly lacking over the past couple of years? If not, why not? Johnny, that's to you. Johnny, that's it. Hello? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, there is. There's a full complement of um, team management around uh, the new head coach, Courtney Walsh. So Robert Samuels is the current batting coach. Um, but we've also got a bowling coach, spin bowling coach, um, strength and conditioning coach, physio, team analyst, um, all the resources that you would expect for a senior men's side is now available to Courtney Walsh, and, and they're all here um, now in Antigua looking forward to going through the final day or so of quarantine before they can they can start their practice. But yes, um, Robert Samuels is charged with that and, um, and is leading uh, the batting coaching unit. Uh, Andrew, the reason for that is that yeah. St. Sher Sherwin Campbell West Indies opening batsmen of high of a high batting order have been uh, would have left the, the the arena. There are plenty of top West Indies open, uh, batsmen from one down to about six. Where is that? None of those persons cannot be employed in helping our women because St. Sherwin Campbell has left the scene from the the, the, uh, the women's team. They have been batting very poorly. Now, could they not employ uh, Chanda Paul if, uh, as one of those batsmen, Desmond Hain? These are top people who performed for the West Indies over the years. Failing to have those around the women to coach them how to bat at this stage of their game, it means we are not going to be going anywhere. The bowling is not a problem, because you can always have the bowling, but we need to have batsmen of, of class in order for the ladies to propel yeah, but, and that is my contribution for tonight. Thank you. All right. 4241790, you can certainly give us a call and participate in the program. We'd be happy uh, to have you on the show. Um, your reaction, uh, Dr. Ford? Well, I, I won't react, but um, I'll just uh, ask Johnny uh, another question. I'm not sure if it's, sure it's fair to ask him. Uh, Johnny, you put in there are new initiatives over the last two years, more engagement, more availability of players, uh, but West Indies is now 10th in the T20 standings, and, and it's a, a format that we've done pretty well in. Are you happy with the results and the, the benefits of the initiatives thus far? I don't think anyone would be happy with uh, being 10th in the world in T20 cricket, but we are still world champions. So, um... I think we're, um, you know, we're, we're, we can go hopefully to to India. I mean, we don't necessarily know where exactly it's going to take place, but we hope that we'll be able to go with confidence to uh, do well and retain our title at T20. Clearly, bilateral T20 cricket is, um, you know, teams play different amounts of games. There's um, not necessarily um, a league structure like there is now in, in tests and ODIs. Um, so yeah, the, the rankings move around quite a bit, but um, you know I think we're developing, and certainly recent performances in the T20 
format would give us all, I think, confidence that we, we've got the ingredients to, to beat anyone on their day. And, um, and certainly I feel that in the T20 format, we can go towards that World Cup with confidence that the team can do well and perform. Mm. Well, we might be doing a rope like Muhammad Ali, but um, Johnny, the, when we look at other cricketing countries and their boards, we don't get the, that feeling of, of this adversity between former employees and, or former contracted individuals and cricketing boards, but with various administrations, it tends to become a, you know, lots of contentious issues arise. What do you think structurally is wrong with the way Cricket West Indies dispenses with contracted individuals and, and people under their employ that makes this a recurrent theme under different um, administrations? Well, I don't think we've had many um, instances um, that I can recall um, in my time. I mean, I inherited a few with obviously Darren Bravo and Nicholas Poran and a few others um, that, that, that were resolved amicably. Um, um, yeah, Phil Simmons um, resolved amicably, I guess. Um, certainly resolved. Um, I'm not sure he was too disappointed. Um, but yeah, look, it's um, it's an ongoing challenge. But we look, I mean, ultimately, for me, we would rather deal with these things, as Philo said, in a respectful manner. We don't feel the need to go to court. Um, relationships change, um, teams change, head coaches change, and still head coaches you know, have a have a major say in who they want to work with within their team management unit to get the best out of the players. So um, you know, I, I can't recall too many incidences that we've had in, in, in recent times. And in most respects, um, you know, the relationship with our players is, is very, very good. You know, we've got players currently in England buying their trades. They're still earning money from West Indies cricket whilst doing so. And it, it's great that they can, um, you know, get the opportunity to play in different conditions um, and earn additional money. We've, um, we, we issued blanket NOCs to the T10 tournament recently that took place. We've got players in IPL who also had the window this time last year and a, a second window when the postponed IPL took place. We have players going to the Big Bash. You know, we try and create that balance between providing players with the opportunity to maximise their earnings, but also ensure that they're available to West Indies cricket. And that's, um, that's an ongoing um, balance that we try and strike. And I don't think certainly recently we've, we've been able to get that, um, that pretty much right. And, you know, other than one or two ongoing legal matters, I can't think of many outstanding legal claims that we have currently. I'll give the number 441790, 441790. You can give us a call in France. Yes, of course. Uh, hi, Tony. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you how things are in Trinidad. I know you, you've been under a bit more stringent conditions now. And... Um, I wanted to know uh, what what that's like, and also how are you feeling about the possibility of having South Africa uh, on your shores uh, pretty soon? Well, yes. Good evening to everyone. Um, you know, it's uh, obviously a very disciplined place now, Trent and Bebo, uh, because this is the second lockdown uh, that uh, the government has implemented, and rightly so, because COVID uh, cases have risen a bit. Uh, in the last uh, two weeks or so. 
Uh, so we have to be careful with that. It's a very serious situation. And, um, you know, it, per capita, uh, we are just like India uh, because we have 1.4 million people here in Trinidad and Tobago, and we have 300 on average cases every day. Um, India has, what, 1.4 billion people, and they have over 300,000 cases every day. So um, it's a great situation, and the people and the culture has to change to be in a lot more discipline. I think the government has done the right thing. Um, Africa, I'm looking for forward to South Africa. I think that we have a positive momentum from Bangladesh. Um, we should have won, win, a, win a test match against um, Sri Lanka here in the Caribbean, uh, but that was not to be. But I think that the players are in a better, a better environment now, and they're trying very hard. Uh, they're working very hard at the game. Um, some uh, changes need to be had, and the way we prepare players, really, um, to get them individually prepared. Uh, Sean Gabriel was an issue. Um, you know, I thought that uh, we should have played a lot more for batsmen or middle-order batsmen, people like Blackwood and um, Bonner in the, the practice game against uh, Sri Lanka. But this is COVID time, and we have to make adjustments. Just one comment on the CPL. Can I? Yes, certainly. Yeah, um, the thing about it is that um, when we look at CPL, CPL is just like Western East cricket during the Hades. I think that um, we have to understand the true benefits that can be derived and have, have been derived from Western East cricket in the past. I think that what we need to do um, is feasibility studies on Western East cricket and the true benefits that have come about of it um, because of it. Um, I think a lot of times we look at things uh, when it happens in present, um, but we don't look into the future. I mean, you have generation marketing to talk about. Uh, just think about one elite athlete in Sir Vivian Richards, for example, the amount of people that are the Caribbean countries to look at that one elite talent. Um, so we have not done any feasibility studies, and we don't understand the intangibles too, the emotional side of Western East cricket, um, you know, the inspirational side of Western East cricket. I came and represented the Western East team because I saw Michael Holden. So we have to understand through a feasibility study um, the true benefits that have been derived. Um, when uh, Mr. Skerritt became president of the Western East cricket board, first time out, he went all over the Caribbean, rightly so, and was talking, meeting with people who were pertinent to Western East cricket in a big way. And, um, you know, he, he said that he was going around the Caribbean to consult with the different ministers about um, bringing monies into the coffers of Western East cricket. And I asked about a feasibility study. Because in my estimation, when you are conversing with uh, people at that level, ministers and government, you have to carry a plan and show the benefits that can be derived from um, a wonderful uh, product like Western East Cricket. And this is why we have to really and truly develop players because thousands and thousands of people will come to the Caribbean to see an elite athlete like Brian Lara. So it's, it's important. CPL to me is important. Mm. Okay, let's go and take a call. We're going to come back to former Minister Richard Steele um, in a short while. Sports tourism, very important. Uh, of course, uh, I'm Andrew Mist, along with uh, co-host um, Dr. Andrew Ford. Let's go and take a call. I think we got a couple back. Hello, welcome. Yes, hello. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Andrew.
cities, and certainly the government of the day, and I'm glad you have Mr. Richard Steele there because, of course, he can vouch on it, and the tremendous amount of crowds, and there was a series that we did at one time that when they were questioning why nobody was at Kensington, nobody between the West Indies and England, they were all in really hundreds and hundreds of people coming in the community. Um, um, so the witness and what the, the women play at the community level. So it's going forward, and you're thinking about the development of the game. Now, they have to restructure and redefine at the uh, what, what kind of, um, what kind of um, cricketing Men and women's cricket together under the same thing, it's women are going to get lost. 
the women need to have a direction. The territorial board needs to have a clear direction on where women's cricket is going. And I agree with Manasseh, but you, you have to have the grassroots cricket coming back into our cricket. You have to get those young, those young women playing softball cricket and developing their skills from there. And these are questions that should be put out to the, to, to the territorial boards. But who does that? Nobody, because everybody's busy in Antigua. So we need to differentiate women's cricket from men's cricket and having their own management structure, but their report from Indies cricket board. So we need to, for the territorial boards, who are the directors sitting there and providing cricket, have a clear pathway and hope to get on cricket. It's sad, Andrew, to watch West Indies women's cricket. I know with Virgin and Bachelor Courtney Watch, the head coach job, he brought in Robert Samuels, Corey Tullamore, Ryan Austin, and a number of people. We have Gary Bell, who's been an analyst for, for, for God knows how long, but we are not seeing the improvement. So something is missing from all women's cricket. And Cricket West Indies needs to address it. Because director of cricket, Jimmy Adams, has a whole lot on his plate. But he needs a couple of sorcerers on the side to help him. <laughs> because the cricket is growing. Women's cricket is growing rapidly. Very well said, Philo. Very well said. I'm being serious here this evening, Andrew. I am dealing strictly with Cricket yeah. West Indies. I want yeah. to see more cricket rise. All women is deplorable. Yeah. On yeah. fit. And, and they're being contracted by Mr. Griffin. They're being contracted. Johnny, your response? I mean, a number of points have been raised uh, on tonight's show around women's cricket, and I, I know I endorse them all. I think softball cricket, windball cricket, had a really important part to participation and grassroots of getting a love for the game. And, a, and I, I believe the best way to appreciate this wonderful game is to play it, even if you only play it for one or two years and you move on. Um, hopefully, you can become a fan of the game, even if you don't play it in softball cricket, windball cricket, in developing those important bat and ball skills at the youngest possible age is really, really important. And I'd endorse what Mr. Seeley said as well, which is one of the reasons why two years ago we took away the bid process from West Indies cricket. One, because all the Caribbean governments have invested hugely in international cricket stadiums, and we want to make sure that every cricket stadium that governments have invested in, as well as cricket fans throughout the region, get to see the West Indies men um, play either a test or white ball cricket every year. The only process that we still go through financially is the England tour but I think we'd all say that the England tours are, are different when it comes to e economic activity and, and clearly we never have enough matches from an England tour now to go around the whole region but outside of that you know we said to the governments we will continue to give in international cricket from a men's perspective on a fair transparent and equitable way and and to use that platform um, when the world is watching the Caribbean to promote everything around the West Indies. Um, and in addition to using it to, to promote, instead of bidding for um, those matches, use any money that the government have available to put it into grassroots and development programs, into those primary schools, into those secondary schools competitions that are so important in terms of keeping this sport alive within the Caribbean. And, and again, look, I, I don't disagree with what Philo is saying, that we need to invest more in women's cricket. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about Cricket West Indies and the territorial. Uh, it needs more focus. Um, it needs more support. We're doing what we can. And, and everyone within my team has women's cricket on their objectives. Um, we've hopefully got a really packed um, summer of cricket for our West Indian team. But I think it is disappointing to all of us that we haven't had a women's regional tournament since we introduced the new separate 
uh, women's selection panel so that we haven't had the opportunity to see the best youngsters in the region. And it was only just before COVID that we managed to get six territorial boards to put in teams into an inaugural under-19 women's tournament. I think all of these initiatives have, you know, have unfortunately, like many of the sort of regional events, been um, negatively impacted by COVID and the restrictions of government quarantine. But, you know, we are massively passionate about our women's team. We want to support them and, and head coach Courtney Walsh in, in getting and reversing the fortunes of the team on the field. And we need to do everything we can to encourage uh, women and girls throughout the region to pick up um, bats and balls and get involved in the sports you know, on and off the field. Because um, as again, you know, the West Indies women's team, what they achieved in 2016 was again, another, you know, great um, advert for, for what West Indies and, and the Caribbean offer. Um, so, yeah, you know, agree with most of the sentiments that I've heard on the show tonight. 241780, can you give us a call and participate uh, in the show? Uh, interesting comments there coming from um, former Minister Hamilton Lashley. We're going to go to a former minister as well. The other word here, Richard, being former, uh, you may very well be Minister of uh, um, Tourism again sometime in the very near future. Fellow Wallace has consented to campaign for you along with Dr. Ford. <laughs> Um, so we expect you back at the field in some ways. It's and Michael, um, don't quite remember the constituency, which is Keely, but it's always good to, uh, to see you and to hear you. The importance of sports tourism. Talk to me about that, Richard. Well, very important. If I, I, if I could just very, very briefly uh, just say uh, that, that issue of women's sport versus men's sports is a, is a, is sure, a sure, very, sure. A very interesting one. It's not unique to the cricket. Um, you know, the women in basketball, in soccer, and uh, you know, uh, are always struggling to try to get parity with their the men's equivalent. It, 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 it is it is not easy simply because of spectators. Spectators want to see the super athlete. Um, and Interesting, I heard Mr. Nasser talk about car racing and horse racing and so on. Like that, that's a little different. One sport where they have gotten relative parity is lawn tennis. And it's interesting to study the history of that. As, as, I, as I've been told, Billie Jean King had to push hard uh, years ago because the party did not exist. And you had to get sponsorship, you had to get corporate and marketing dollars behind it. And I think that that is where, until you get that kind of interest, I don't think you're going to have the equivalency that you're seeking. And that's the reality. Now, cricket is an interesting possibility, much like lawn tennis. It's more of a technique-type thing, yet, I mean, it's nice to see somebody hitting the ball over the ground 100 yards, so on, especially in the 2020s. But I think we have to do some work in that regard. I was intrigued by Hami's comments about the community element. I think it would be a little unfair to expect Mr. Graves and his people at the West Indies Cricket Board to deal with that. Surely the members, the line members, the various associations should, should be more active in that department. In the case of Barbados, and I don't think it's unique to us, uh, the government, of course, has the national sport. We have, I think, something like 40 coaches on staff, various sporting disciplines. So quite a few of them are cricket-oriented. They're supposed to be in the community. But um, I think you're going to have to put that one or lay that one at the feet of the, of the member, the individual 
territorial uh, cricket associations, and not so much the West Indies Cricket Board. And I'm not trying to defend the cricket; he can defend himself if he gets flashes. But I, I don't think it's fair to expect the regional organisation to put structures in place at that level. But he's absolutely correct. Um, and earlier I, I spoke about you know sports tourism to deal with your question, not only being about the international team, but the community teams as well. Um, the, I remember, you know, vividly being at one of those things, and the, the team from Tobago, there was a softball team from Tobago, and, um, and one of the players was explaining to me what a Kaiser ball was. Remember Sparrow had to sell all them Tobago gals, sweet, 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 like a Kaiser ball. I never knew what a Kaiser ball was. I learned at a cricket match organized by Mr. Lashley for one of the members of the Tobago um, team. Now, I'm just saying, you know, that community exchange is extremely important. And you get into the people element. And as I say, you know, it, it's more than just bed nights and bums and beds and that kind of thing, tourism, but also the, the cultural exchange that takes place. And, um, and uh, obviously, that in itself, um, can can spawn the future international cricketers. It was interesting hearing, um, you know, Anthony Gray talk about Michael Holding influencing him, but 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 you know, the, the great the Gary Silbert, he got his start in the Bayland, I think, playing for the Police uh, Sports Club as a, as a as a young. So we we cannot underestimate the importance of that community element. Um, but I don't think it is a function of Cricket West Indies to be quite blunt in how I see it. 14 minutes left on the show, 14 for You can certainly give us a call and participate. Uh, Johnny, yeah, yeah, if I could just uh, you know, add to, to what everyone said tonight, we've, we've over the last couple of shows, everyone's been pretty negative about the Caribbean Premier League, other than Tony Gray. Um, no, but imagine what a, a vibrant CPL in the women's game would do for our women's cricket if we had over 100 female athletes playing cricket in the CPL, um, what that would do for our cricket and our, and our T20 team in particular. And so, so one of the initiatives we're looking to do is really encourage CPL as a league and, and those franchise owners to invest in the women's game too, because I believe that a really vibrant CPL is in the women's game is part, and, and I'm not saying it's the silver bullet, but it's part of what we need to be doing um, as a region to enhance and move forward our, our, our women's game. And, and finally, just before, I, I unfortunately I have to leave now, but I also just wanted to say how, how pleased I was as a Surrey fan to see Kemar Roach do well at the Oval and following the footsteps of Mr. Gray um, as, a, as a West Indian fast bowler wearing the brown cap and, and obviously Sylvester Clark as well um, as a Barbadian doing well at the Oval. So um, uh, thank you for um, the opportunity to be on the show and um, yeah, a good evening to everyone, and, and please, echoing what um, uh, Philo said at the start, please everyone continue to stay safe, because um, as Tony explained, what's happening at Trinidad, you know, none of us are immune to these, I don't even know if, we've, if we're still counting four, fifth um, waves after Easter breaks and whatever, but uh, everyone needs to, especially those that have been vaccinated, understand that we can still control it, we can still pass on. COVID, even though our viral loads will be lower. And um, yeah, I want to reassure everyone on the call that everything that we're doing and continue to do to get cricket back being played is always with the player safety 
and the communities of the Caribbean safety at the number one priority. Very much indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, of course, uh, we heard from uh, the CEO of Cricket West Indies, Mr. Johnny Graves, uh, who is very much with us. We're going to take our final commercial break. When we come back, I think we're going to go to St. Vincent and talk to Jason Clark. If you haven't heard from him in a couple of weeks, you really want to know what's going on with him as far as that is concerned. But Mason uh, and Guess is brought in association with our very good friends at Barber's Factory. Yes, we are coming close to the end of the show, and we do hope that you are enjoying it very much. It was one that we had hoped for to be another great show, and it has turned out to be just that. Just to remind you that you can tune to our show each and every Sunday evening from 6 until 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. When you hear more cricket talk uh, along the way on Saturdays, we do have an entertainment period from 9 until 12. But on Sundays, we talk purely cricket. We invite you to be there with us this Sunday last week. We had the pleasure of speaking with the president of the Western Cricket Board. And this week, we are working on some top interviews. So be sure to join us 6 until 9 each Sunday, one 515 Back to service provider and my particular calling. I, I I can remain socially distant and do what I have to do. And of course, just um, using the opportunity to develop mentally, using the opportunity to develop spiritually, and uh, and, and trying to stay positive. It's wonderful. All right, let's let's, let's go to St. Vincent. Uh, I know Tony Gray has not been there around around the, the Queen's Park uh, at all Just because of the COVID fears. Yeah. Um, a, a, a man, Tony, who is very much involved in this, Dayton Butler, and I'm sure you want to hear from him. A couple of weeks ago, it was very touching to hear from Dayton Butler. Let's go to him now. Hello, Dayton. How are you? Hi, Andrew. Good night. I'm doing well. Thank you. All right. Now, the last time we spoke, you know, the volcano was kicking up. Um, I understand you've got lots of uh, uh, mud there now, lots of water a couple of days ago. How uh, would things have gone for you in the last week or so? Yeah, well, um, in terms of the, the volcano, um, the last explosive eruption was um, the 22nd. So since that, we haven't had any any explosion, but, you know, it still has been active. You know, um, a lot of of um, mud flows and um, I think up to two days ago, no, up to yesterday actually, we had a lot of mud flows on either side of the of the um, the, the, the mountain coming down from the, the mm. volcano. Um, mm. So yeah, how, how have you been coping along with your family? How, how have you been coping along with your family? Yeah, we have been doing a lot better than um, Last time, which, um, you know, we have we have done a lot of cleaning. We are actually staying in the yellow zone, which is um, not mm. not where we are originally from. So we have we have not really gone back home as yet because we we live in the um, the orange zone, which is you know close to the the red zone where everyone was evacuated from. Really, 
I see. And just before you go, COVID cases are rising there. That's a concern as well, Dighton. Yeah, it is a concern because um, I think there there were 18, 18 cases um, a couple of days ago, and 16 of those 18 um, came from from you know the shelters where the evacuees uh, are being housed. So that is a bit of a concern. Um, you know, they're hoping that you know um, the, those persons who are in the shelters will will practice the, the necessary protocols and, and and try and be a bit more safe. But it is a concern because oh, but, you know, but, COVID has, has been really rampant throughout the the region and the world. Yeah, this was the mental fatigue for what's happening. You know, um, the volcano, COVID, I mean, it must be very difficult, um, you know, for our friends in St. Vincent. Final question, how is your daughter coping? I know she's got one of the challenges. How is she coping? Yeah, well, um, she, we have been keeping her inside because there's still a lot, a lot of ash on the, on the ground outside. So, you know, when the wind blows, you know, a lot of dust still, still comes up. So we have been trying to keep her inside mostly. And that, that has been working well. She has, mm. she has been coping well. Well, I said final question, but lots of ash and now lots of mud as well, from my understanding. Yeah, yeah. A lot of mud flows because, um, you know, once the, rain, once the rain comes, you know, there are going to be a lot of mud flows in the, into the, the various streams and either sides of the, of the volcano. And um, a lot of it is, is coming down getting into the sea as well so mm. they are still um you know warning the the persons who who would have evacuated from the, the red zone to to stay out of it still because it's still not safe there there's a lot of that that mud flow is, is occurring in those areas in the red zone close to the those villages close to the volcano so no one oh. is really more or less going back there to occupy their homes just yet. Well, they can keep, keep us posted. Um, this is a very serious situation. Your story is a very touching one as well, and we thought it important on Mason and Guest to, to join you again. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, and all the best for the rest of the, of the program. And thanks for, for um, all right, you know, yeah. checking in. Oh, thank you very much indeed. Got another couple of minutes left on the show. We're going to go to Phil Wallace and, of course, uh, to Tony Gray. Uh, we're going to end with uh, uh, the, 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 the Minister of Tourism and Waiting, Richard Seeley. Um, <laughs> Tony, I know you're not a politician. Otherwise, you would have been running the Santa Cruz area. Um, women's cricket, we're going to end on that. Is it strong in Trinidad? Well, it's, it's getting stronger and stronger. Um, what the Toronto Bigo Cricket Board has done, rightly so, is introduce a lot of the young guilds um, going into schools and, um, you know, try to encourage them to play the game. And I, I believe that it's not only in schools, but uh, obviously in clubs and communities, because there's where they start. I just want to say something on women's cricket. And women's, a lot of the best sporting women's teams in the world, in different sporting disciplines. For example, the Americans are world champions, World Cup winning champions in football. Um, you know, they are physically stronger. Um, there has to be a re-education of coaches dealing with women because they are different. 
And uh, we have to understand how to psychologically motivate them. We won in 2016. It was a brilliant win against Australia. Uh, against the number one team in the world, we won by eight wickets. Uh, that motivational level we had because the men won, and then the under-19 um, men won too, um, was quite clear. So we had to get back there. But uh, there needs to be specific things being done to women cricket for us to get up to that level and support that level again. I think uh, the re-education of coaches dealing specifically with women is very important. But I think that uh, if you look at the best women, um, you look at their background, uh, they have competed with uh, you know, their brothers and, and men in general. So the point made by the caller that we have to get women playing against men very early is a valid one. For sure, we're going to spend a minute with Philo, and then we're going to end with uh, Richard Cleary. Philo Wallace. Well, as you women's cricket has to take uh, the, front, the front seat when it comes to, to development. And the, develop, the development of women's cricket has to start at the territorial level. And the boards, the boards need to understand that. I don't know if that director should come from Cricket West Indies or the boards themselves take, it up and, take, it, take their own initiatives and try to push women's cricket and bring women's cricket to the fore. Uh, we saw in 2016, yeah, Sherwin Campbell had something special going and then that uh, went away after you know, a lot of stuff that had been said. And nobody, I can bet you, nobody has contacted Sherwin Campbell on what mechanism or what methods he used back in 2016 and made West Indies women team won uh, that World Cup. And these are things that need to be done. We need to go back into our history and, and tap those people who have done it and try to bring their ideas and try to just mushroom them, bring them into, into, more, into more modern day uh, thinking. And let us try to get our women's cricket back on track, Andrew. Women's cricket has evolved, and women's cricket, women's cricket has not. So we need to get back there sooner rather than later. Yeah, the one, one other thing, up. Andrew, quickly. Yeah, one other on. thing, Andrew, quickly. Yeah, sure. The other thing about women's cricket is if women are playing cricket and very serious about cricket, then they will encourage their children to play cricket also. So it can be used as a generation marketing tool. <laughs> Michael South Central. Michael South Central. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Are you running a election now, Richard? I, I, My final question. I, I thought we were discussing sports tourism, but uh, I can't disappoint. Having 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 committed fellow and um, and Dr. Ford to to uh, whose office is in St. Michael South Central, like the the operation Belvis. Um, I mean, I've been committed to two of them to campaign on my behalf. I mean, I, 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 I'm at their disposal. I have to run now. So, yes. Right. I, so, 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 so I'm going to give that to Stenson, Bab, in the morning. I'm sure Ronnie Clark is going to pull that out. So you're staying I mean, on Mason and Guest, Richard City, Michael, Michael Lashy, my, my dear cousin is listening. You can send me a WhatsApp message. Are you running in the next election, Richard? I am running in the next election. So, yeah, Ronnie will be able to write another song about me as well. So, I'll put a verse in one of his songs. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, one involves swimming and uh, Worthing, Worthing Beach will be something else. So.
you know the saying, you already have 500 votes in the bag. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I also want to thank, of course, Dr. Andrew Ford, my co-host. I want to thank Philo Wallace as well for coming too. He had on his grave, the CEO of Cricket Sessions, a, a wonderful performance from him. And of course, Tony Gray, who has no intentions of running, we know that he's in it. I'm not It's open for a bye tomorrow. Another wonderful show. Hope you enjoyed it. Got a pleasure of bringing it to you directly from POV. Wolverine Batman. Remember to join us come Sunday. 6 until 9 p.m. Eastern Sunday time. 1 515 605. Also, you can. Join us for an entertainment from Saturday morning, 9 until 12. See you there. Tell others about it. Hope you enjoy our show. Good night to you folks. Wonderful evening. God bless. Yeah, as we get out of here. It was a pleasure this evening bringing you in some water. Here, from the other side. Hear what the folks saying about Western East Cricket.
request to play that again. Oh my goodness, I love it. Why can't we play it again? It's just worth repeating, even just for a few bars.
Uh, good night to all. The song is so sweet, worth repeat. Spice is enough. Night all, have a blessed evening. Remember to keep God first.